Amen. Um, it's always nice to have a confirmation. I think we kind of long for a confirmation that what we've prepared is is right with the Lord. Is what our, the Lord has asked us to prepare, and um, that tongues and interpretation was very very good for me tonight. Amen. I want to pr- I want to thank the Lord so much because it was a great encouragement. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Um, my message tonight is called The Word of God. And in this regard, I've selected some scriptures from Psalm 119, which are as follows. And I just want to say now, there's lots and lots and lots of scriptures in this message tonight. So Psalm 119, verse 140 says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. And verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. But my main scripture tonight pertaining to this message is verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thank you, Jesus. Superintendent David Bernard has written a book about the Word of God, which I'm sure we are mostly familiar with, and it is called God's Infallible Word. Infallible, as we know, means never wrong, incapable of error, not subject to mistake. And this describes exactly and perfectly God's Word, which has been written by inspiration from God, giving given to prophets and apostles. The word of God is the only completely truthful guide to salvation and eternal life with him. It is not God's desire for us to spend eternity away from his presence. Second Peter, two and, uh, Second Peter chapter 3 and 9 says, God is not willing that any, sal- any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In creation, he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul, meaning that man will live in eternity. And I will give a little more detail on the soul of man a little later in this message. The place God has created for man to live eternally with him is heaven. Psalm 104 and verse 19 says, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. We will also find in the word of God the place opposite to heaven, which is hell. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. This is quite a hard scripture to read, but God's word stands and is forever settled. It's unchangeable, and it's not compromised. How can we know the true details of heaven and hell unless we refer to the word of God? The general options held by man are a lot different to what the Bible says. Some, some are of the opinion that hell is right here on earth. Some believe that the people who have lived a good life will be eternally rewarded by God. No salvation required, they've just lived a good life 
and they will be eternally rewarded. Some believe there's a place called purgatory, which is supposed to be a state or a place of suffering inhabited by the souls of by sinners who are making amends for their sins before going to heaven. Now, we know that we have to make those amends. We have to be right, right here in God. There's no other place to go to before we die, before God comes, before whatever's going to take place. We have given, been given this opportunity and this time to make ourselves right with God. And every one of us in this service and those that are attending the house of God are so blessed to know this truth and have activated this truth and have accepted the truth of God and become believers and been, been saved and have our sins washed away and filled with the Holy Ghost and living for God. And we cannot attend the house of God enough. We need to come. We need to come every time. God help us to come every time the, work, the door is open. I guarantee you, if you stay away from church one day, that's the very service you should have been in for God to speak into your lives. We can't, we can't uh, say about sickness that happens. But if we, if we um, tardy and not attend the house of God, it's a dangerous place. It's very, very good to be in the house of God. We need the lamp and the light of the word of God to know the truth about these very important subjects. God cares for us more deeply than we can realize, and he has given us everything to be able to live for him and to stay living for him right into eternity. His word is full of instruction and direction for us to follow. His word is given in much detail without overlooking any aspect of supplying our needs and his blessings in our lives. His word is specific. It's not watered down, neither is it sugar-coated. And all the promises of his word are yea and amen. You can guarantee, be guaranteed, if God has made a promise, he will keep it. The word of God is comprehensive, divided into two testimonies, total two testaments, totaling 66 books. The Word of God is not intended to be treated as a novel, to be read and discarded, but it is intended to be read over and over because it is ever revealing to thoughtfully and prayerfully consider and meditate upon the contents of the Word. Romans 11 and 33 says, O the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. And Psalm 1 and 2 says, Delight in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word of God is a light that will not fade or ever go out. It is everlasting. It is unfailing. I feel that the purpose of the word of the Lord is much greater than these points that I've listed here in this message. But some of the points I've listed is, number one, to reveal to us the one true God. Number two, to lead us to salvation. All of mankind, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are, this applies to all of mankind. To undertake how to live a godly life. To know how to serve God and to help us develop a relationship with him. And number five, to express his love for us and his will for us. We can open the Bible anywhere at any scripture that we can find, read it, and we can say, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet 
and a light unto my path. For example, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This scripture, as I understand it, is an instruction that I, the reader, needs to study the word of God. And to study the word of God will take work. But I will do my best that I can present myself to God as one approved. And the result is that I need not be ashamed to accurately understand it and present it correctly if need be. And secondly, Psalm 121 verse 1, My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. This tells every individual that reads that word that the help they need will come from the Lord, the same Lord who made heaven and earth, yet he cares for little old me. This will light my way because I know who to go to when I need help. And because he made heaven and he made earth, he surely knows my precise need. By faith, we believe that God created the world from things which are not visible. It takes faith to believe in what we cannot see in the physical. It takes faith to look at creation and believe that there is a creator whom we have not seen and who we cannot see unless he allows us. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the New American Standard Bible says, Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Faith helps us to be sure of what we hope for and sure of what we do not see. My personal belief is that God rewards and reassures our faith from time to time by allowing us to feel his presence during times of worship, during times of conversation, and in times of prayers. This gives us confirmation that our faith is perfectly justified. We have ready access to the word of God, which is the printed Bible, but it took a long journey to get it into a printed form where it is today. The writer of Psalm 119 never had a printed Bible to refer to. He may have had some parchments. He would have known the law and the commandments given to Moses, and I believe that he was in a close walk relationship with God and able to hear from God for the writings that he wrote. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Um, Yes, and verse 7 says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God has promised to preserve his word so that every, every generation will have access to that word. Not one dot or one tittle shall pass from the law until it is all fulfilled. If people desire, they can chop and change the words of God however they please. But what God has inspired prophets and apostles to write will never be changed and is forever settled in heaven. Nothing good can be accomplished by attempting to change the word of God. A basic background is that the earliest biblical texts were written on scrolls. 
made from a plant known as papyrus or on parchment, which was dried and treated animal skins. These writings were very well preserved, and the scribes who were able to read and write would bring writings together and make compilations. The only way to duplicate documents was to copy by hand. The English word Bible is derived from the Greek word biblia, which means books. The Bible contains 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, written by the prophets as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, and and it was written in the Hebrew language. The Old Testament writings were possessed by a single nation, Israel. All the other nations had their own religions and worshipped their own gods. There were 27 books in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, because Rome was ruling the world mostly at that time. The writings now were no longer solely intended for a single nation, but for Christians, for everybody, everywhere. A priest by the name of Jerome translated the entire Bible into Latin. At least 1,000 years thereafter, John Wycliffe translated the Bible into Middle English. Later, a man called Gutenberg introduced printing, and the first book he printed was the Bible, which is known as the Gutenberg Bible, which is a very valuable article today. Missing out a lot of other historical details, we come to the King James Version. In 1604, King James authorized a new translation of the Bible into the English spoken at that time. We may say King James English. And this is the version we read today. The King James Version is known to be an accurate translation without compromise. In fact, he commissioned 47 men to ensure that the translations were accurate. These men were divided into groups and the translations were compared for accuracy. When this was accomplished and the Bible was printed, it became available to individuals, not just solely the property of the church. This was finally accomplished in 1611. History records that the Bible was written by some 35 to 40 men over a period of approximately 1,600 years. Um, I don't know if that's absolutely accurate, but that's what I've got from historical writings. In all the information, I've only touched on a small portion of the historical record, yet it helps us to realize how valuable the Bible is, the long journey it has taken to get to us, and that God has ensured we all have access to his word. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And Hebrews chapter 4 and 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner and of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The NIV version says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered 
and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Ultimately, we are all accountable to God. Whether we are saved or whether we're not saved, we are all accountable to God. And I don't say that lightly. We need to be saved. We need to be born again. And thank God that we are in this place where the truth is taught, the truth is loved, the truth is preached, and the truth is upheld. Thank you, Jesus. It is serious and important that we need to hold fast to our faith. Only God can penetrate our lives in hard-to-reach areas for our benefit, even though it may be hurtful for us at the time. The Greek word for soul is, I can't say it, suche, I don't know, P-S-U-C-H-E. This word implies our mind, will, and desires as seen in our personal preferences, choices, decisions, and emotional responses to life situations. Our soul is reflected in our personality. The human spirit is the deepest part of creation in a person, which is the part that comes into contact with God in the spiritual realm. The marrow of a bone is in the very core of the bone where most of the red blood cells are produced. The joint is the point of connection on the outside of the bone itself that joins it to another bone. To say the least, this is finite detail. We may ask, why does God go into such finite detail for and in our lives? The Bible answers this question in Ecclesiastes 3 and 21. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to earth? And Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth, and it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Humans are the only aspect of God's creation who will give an account of themselves to God. And as I said before, nothing is hidden from God. Nothing about our motives, our desires, our thoughts, what is in our hearts, even though it may be hidden from ourselves. God is alive and active, and so is his word alive and active. Our hearts are laid bare before him, and a double-edged sword is effective, extremely effective, to penetrate deeply, to lay open the heart and expose what is within. I would hate everybody else to look into my life and see what's in there. But God knows and it cannot be hidden from him. Amen. We take an example of the passage from John 4, 1 to 30. The Samaritan woman who came to the well to get water. And we think of this account in this way. John 1 and 1 and then John 14. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. And I want to emphasize verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So, the word has become flesh. And the word in flesh is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus, not by accident, but by divine appointment, goes into Samaria and comes to the well. 
he is waiting for this particular Samaritan woman. And we all know of this encounter between Jesus and her. I might add that if any of us are seeking that spiritual water and we go to Jesus, he will be there waiting for us, knowing what we need even before we ask. First of all, for each and every one of us and for all humanity, there is a purpose for the word of God. The word of God is available to us not by chance, not by accident, but by divine plan for many reasons, but particular because. Second Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should come to repentance. Amen. Back to the woman at the well. Jesus asks her for a drink of water, and he gets her attention. If we open the written word of God and begin to read it, or listen to preaching of the word, we, God can get our attention. If we open ourselves up to God in this way, he can get our attention. In those times, he can communicate with us. And those times, we can receive that communication. When we're worshiping God, he can communicate with us, and he gets our attention there as well. Going back to the Samaritan woman, a conversation between Jesus and the woman in shoes. In order to get to the heart of the matter, which is her salvation, and it ends up that it's salvation for others too, Jesus gradually and step by step begins to strip back the layers of self-preservation, excuses, pride, guilt, shame, and whatever else hinders her to receive and embrace the truth. In this conversation, Jesus is revealing to her who he is, giving her understanding as much as she can take in, and that in him is everlasting life. Then when she is ready to hear it, Jesus exposes her sin, which is an immoral situation. He told her to go and call her husband to come to her. The woman answered, saying, I have no husband. Jesus was pleased with her reply, saying, Thou hast well said. And he continued, saying, John 4 and 18, For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom they, thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The word of God, quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Samaritan's woman, woman's spirit was enlightened and illuminated by Jesus. She now realizes what it meant to take freely of the water of life, which is that spiritual refreshment that comes into her soul after her encounter with Jesus and her confession to him. Whew, what a relief. It is all over. Not only was she impressed that Jesus knew all her sins, but she was also given the opportunity to have those sins forgiven. Time to change her life, a time to move away from that sinful life, and a time to begin again, to be born again, as we say. Not This isn't a, a born-again experience uh, scripture, but 
she begins again. She was born again in a sense, and her life began all over again. And she ran out. She became aware that Jesus was the Messiah, who is called the Christ. And she was set free from the sin that had prevailed in her life. And she quickly ran to the others and told them about him, saying, John 4 and 29, Come, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? And they that heard him went out of the city and came unto Jesus. If we read this full account in the Bible to the conclusion, we can easily say, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For in time where we are now, the word of God tells us that Jesus is coming back again. And we'll read that scripture for that uh, part of the sermon, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Please look at these words up here with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I have to ask us to stand, please, and ask the pianist to come. By faith... We know and believe that this event is going to take place. And earnestly and fervently, we want to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We do not know the specific time that this event will take place, so we endeavor to be ready at all times and not caught wanting. While we are waiting for this event, which has a most joyful ending for us, let us, emphasizing me too, allow God's word to be quick, and powerful, and sharp, and piercing, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, so that we are absolutely ready for him. In surrender to God, let these following scriptures be the cry of our hearts. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So I hope the altar is 